Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 12 of Comfort Films. Yes, 12 if you can believe it. Really more like 11.5, but as yeah. you know, if this isn't your first time, we're not so good at the the maths. No, no. I've talked about the math many times and how I am deficient. And that is just a component that I don't really have on my attribute chart. Yeah, and if or, we go below whole numbers, you can't really do stick math anymore. No, no, I, I so, really can't. I, so. I really, I'm just, I don't know. I need someone that's like a human calculator with me at all times to make me feel whole. Or just a non-human calculator. That would be great if I could just that's walk That's what around. phones are for, dude. That would be pretty awesome. I mean, I'd want to chat with it, though, too. Like, (laughs) you know, I mean, they say, like, everything's like zeros and ones, right? Like a computer. So maybe if it was like a computer that I could talk to. Did I ever tell you? Okay, so Santa, right? I really was all in on Santa. And, you know, you watch all these Christmas movies. They're all these, these great things that people get from Santa. So I wrote this letter to Santa where I went all out, okay? <laughs> I said I wanted a robot that walked and talked and just could kind of hang out, play sports, just be my friend overall, you know, just like a super cool companion, <laughs> you know, like like R2-D2, C-3PO, yes. you know, all that stuff, you know, and then some. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that that's what I did. That's what I did. How I can old? only... How old were you then? Oh, jeez. I was probably, I'd say, eight. I'd say eight okay. or nine. Sounds about right. I can just imagine <laughs> what was going through my parents' head when, when they got, you know, <laughs> this letter. letter. I actually, you know, was talking to my dad when I was writing it because I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything with, uh, you know, what the robot could do. That's I want, great. You know, like, I didn't want to, like, forget to say it could talk or forget to say, you know, it could walk or it could fly. You wanted your checklist to be full. Yeah, and my dad was like, you know, John, uh, I, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I know Santa's going to do the best he can, but, uh, you know. It's this... good to have a dream, John. <laughs> yeah, right. It's It's good. <clears throat> It's good to have a dream. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he was super cool, and he knew that I always wanted something wild. Because I always had this great imagination. <laughs> creative, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm surprised I didn't ask him for, like, a dragon. You know, yeah. like, can ah. you guys just get me a dragon no, I can like hang out Morty with? Morty from that Rick and Morty episode. <laughs> where he just wanted a dragon. It's, everybody has something, you know, that they that they want i mean i wanted to hang out with alf i was a member of the alf fan club oh yeah yeah i was i was you were like the most 80s kid in the 80s i yeah there was no stopping me you know robots was like robots was definitely a thing though for a while because i wrote a book when i was in first grade called the happy robot oh yeah yeah and it was pretty simple it was about a robot who was Kind of a jerk. Uh oh. And he was walking around and he was mad all the time. That wouldn't have been my robot. And then he fell in a hole. Ooh. And he was really scared that nobody's going to help him out because he'd been such a jerk to them. Yeah. But then people were like really upset that he fell in the hole and they were like all came together to help him out. Okay. And then he became like a really nice, happy guy. Nice. It was a great story. And 
I don't know if this was like all kids got to do this or if it was just like the winners, but <clears throat> we got our books bound at the Ooh. library. So they actually took your book. I don't have it anymore. Oh, that's. Oh. <clears throat> As you know, I've moved like a million times. This would have been so, so good. So it's probably, it was probably at my stepdad's house when he passed away. They mm. probably got thrown out in the dumpster somewhere. But uh, the books were actually bound, and I think I won a prize, um, if I remember correctly. I'll have to ask my mom. I think I won some kind of an honorable mention or some kind of prize for, like, the best book. You should have, because you had me on the hook there. I was like, <laughs> okay, we got this robot. It's great. Well, and it was the... illustrated. So what? I, yeah, I drew all the pictures. I did all the story. It was really cool. Can you recreate this? Can Probably we bring not. It back? I mean, it won't be as good, because I'm not six. You know, but I it think, was, it I think was it could really be really awesome. good. Well, it's, I mean, this is very exciting. I'll ask my mom if she remembers the happy robot oh. and if she does, then we'll talk about it more. Um, but yeah, I used to do that all the time. Like I got really obsessed with drawing Ziggy. Okay. And so I did like an entire book of my own pirated Ziggy comics when I was like six or seven. Okay. Um, I, it probably had like 50 comics. Wow. Just single page Ziggy. I don't know. It was just my thing. Do we have any any no, of this? None of this exists. I want all these items. I know. This is why I'm so sad. Like, John and I are the opposite. John grew up in the same house from like six months old until he left home. Oh, yeah. So yeah. everything, and his family is a little pack ratty. Sorry, mm -hmm. folks, but you know. No, well, it's like you call it as you see it. When we <laughs> moved out, I mean, we were up in the attic. We took out my crib, you know. I, I yeah. was an only child for many years. So, I mean, there was like a crib. I found like a, a stop sign yeah. that we took in high school. Well, you had a decent-sized house, it, and there were only three of you. So. Yeah, well, and the, the attic ran the length of the whole house. Yeah, so you and had plenty were... of storage. It's not like you were, like, were overflowing with stuff. Well, it, um... upstairs, I mean, even that, I mean, the amount of clothing that we had. We even had stuff going back to when my parents were really young. I think we had some yeah, some we did dresses. Yeah, 70s, 60s. From my mom was a kid. I, I think, think so we even too. had some of that. And I mean, some of the stuff I found up there, oh man. You know, I actually threw out the box to the Star Wars Death Star thinking that it wasn't worth anything because it was just the box. <laughs> oh my God, buddy. Yeah, well, but my family, we moved every like two years. My mm -hmm. dad was a minister. We kept getting reassigned to different churches. Yeah. And we weren't ever living in our own house. <clears throat> we were only living in these parsonages. So we kept our belongings light. We like were pretty, you know, big on cleaning up. And then when my parents got divorced, we moved with my stepdad. And then mm. my mom and stepdad got divorced again while I was in college. And then I've moved a lot. So I basically have one little box of stuff that's mostly just from high school maybe and uh, who knows if that even exists if it does it's at my mom's well anything so. i see of yours you know whenever we visit your family i i am sure to like take it and put it in the vault yeah i remember your grandmother's up. and there was like this box of photos and i was going through it and she was like feel free to take whatever photos you'd like <laughs> and you took your, all like, the okay, ones of you it. yeah i took them all yeah you know, when I was at your mother's house, I was like, oh, yeah, the Stephen King first edition hardcovers? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was smart. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just that's the way we've been. I kind of 
in a way, I like it because it keeps me from being a pack rat in our tiny house. Well, yeah, and I have now. stuff that, like... <laughs> yeah, you still... I mean, we need room for all your stuff. <laughs> it's... Well, like, I have, like... I Yeah, I had everything. I had, like, old graded papers, you yeah. know? Like, I mean, I have, like, uh, drawings that I did from grade school. Most... Yeah, most of what I have is just from college and after that I've kept. Mm -hmm. But nothing really much from before that, I don't think. So... At any rate, I do have memories, and we're going to talk about that tonight, mm -hmm. if we ever get to, to <laughs> pass whatever this intro is. I got a few more things to discuss. <laughs> John's just going <laughs> to give you a history of everything in his old house. <laughs> I'll go through that. I mean, honestly, people would love it, because it's all like crazy like 80s toys, so we should just do a toy episode one time. There were a lot of toys. But um, at any rate, what we're talking about tonight... Um, as a special little kind of sidebar for Christmas, is a Christmas special, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Wonderful. Um, so this isn't exactly a movie. It was a TV special. It came out in 1977 in Canada, because initially, I, I'm assuming from what I read online, it was produced for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, like they paid for it. And it was kind of a test to see if they could do a Muppet or puppet type show that could sustain more than just the half an hour or the sketches that were on the Muppet show and things like that. So it's kind of like when Han Solo went into the carbon freeze as a test to see if Luke Skywalker could make it through the carbon freeze. Yeah, uh, well, I guess kind of, yes. Okay. It's It was a test to see, you know, can people be interested in watching a full length or at least a longer length show that just is made with puppets. There's no people. It's just puppets. And it's so good. Um, and so they took this book actually by uh, Russell and Lillian Hoban um, called Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas and they adapted it and they made little puppets to match all the characters in there and they adapted it into this little Christmas special and it was first aired in Canada in December of 1977, about 30 days before my birth. Ooh. Um, and then it wasn't aired in the U.S. until the following year. So I probably watched it when I was like 12, you know, 11 months old. I don't remember that time. But it was uh, run again in 1980, mm -hmm. which would have been, I think it was de late December of 1980, which would have been when I was two just about to turn three in January. And I actually remember seeing it on television when I was two. You are a spectacular human. <laughs> I mean, I know that people will probably not believe me because who remembers stuff from when they were two? But I remember stuff a really long time ago. I, I even remember my grandmother who died when I was eight months old. Very weirdly, but <laughs> because... I was a tiny little baby, and she was, you know, a grown human. Um, but I remember stuff, very specific, um, small things way back. And one of the things I remember is seeing Emmett Otter in 1980 at my grandmother's house, sitting on the floor. Um, my grandmother actually had a kitchen um, where she had her television. <laughs> the kitchen okay. was like the center of her house. Mm -hmm. And she had one of those big old like console TVs with like the wood cabinet yes, built I love those. on it. Mm -hmm. um, that was like everybody had that mm -hmm. at the time. 
and uh, it was sitting in the corner near, like, kind of opposite the wall where, uh, well, not opposite, it was actually in the corner of the wall where the stove was. So my grandmother would be sitting over here, like, cooking stuff on the stove, and I was sitting on the floor, you know, like, three feet in front of the TV, wow. just glued to the screen, watching this great um, Muppet thing, because I already probably watched the Muppet show and liked it. We didn't have a television. My mom and dad and me didn't have a television. Wow. So anytime we watched TV, it was like an event. Sure. And my mom thinks that she remembers us also watching this um, with our family friends, the Goldsmiths. Okay. Who had a TV and lived like a town over from us. And so she thinks that might have been the first time I saw it when I was like one, not even one. And then I saw it again at my grandmother's house because we didn't have television. Um, and that was just, you know, the way it was for us. So without further ado, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. So basically, the easiest way to sum up this movie is that it's kind of a hillbilly version of the O. Henry story, The Gift of the Magi. <laughs> um, so... Very succinct. It's true. Know? If you're not familiar with the gift of the Magi, um, the whole point of that is that in that in that story, there's a married couple, and they don't have a lot of money, but they really, really, really want to buy something super nice for their spouse for Christmas. So the wife, who's kind of the main person in the story, decides that what she really wants to buy is a watch band or watch fob. For her husband because he has this really nice pocket watch but he doesn't have a nice chain on it so she's like i can buy this fob and it will you know beautify that watch and it'll make him feel really special but it costs a lot of money and the only way that she can get that for him is to sell her hair so she has this beautiful long amazing hair she goes she gets it chopped off and she sells it she gets the money she buys the fob when she comes home and they have Christmas, she's so, you know, her husband comes in and he's horrified to say that she's cut off her hair. And she's like, well, but, you know, I, I got you this gift. Um, and she gives him the watch fob. And at that point, he gives her the gift that he got her, which is this beautiful hair comb for her beautiful long hair that is no longer there. And reveals that he has pawned or sold his watch to buy her this uh, hair comb. So basically they bought each other a gift that no longer applies because they gave up what was most important to them to get the other person a gift. And the reason O. Henry called that the gift of the Magi is because he was comparing this sacrifice that they made to the three wise men who came and brought gifts to Jesus uh, in that story. So the version of this in Emmett Otter is that Emmett, who's a little otter, who kind of does odd jobs and yeah. lives with his mom. And his mom is poor and she does washing and cooks pies and things like this to try to make money. The two of them want to buy each other a Christmas gift desperately. And they're broke. Um, and <laughs> much like anyone who lives in Appalachia or the South or anything like this, this is why I call it the hillbilly version. They're super poor. They're always scrabbling for money. They don't have much. 
um, and they're really just getting by. But they really want to buy each other something for Christmas and make Christmas special because they love Christmas. And Emmett's late father loved Christmas. Um, so they hear that there is a talent contest coming to town, and the prize for that is $50, which to them is like an inordinate amount of money. It would be an amazing thing. If Ma wins it, she could buy Emmett a $40 guitar with Mother of Pearl inlay, which is what he desperately wants. Yeah, that's a nice looking guitar. And Emmett wants to make a jug band with his friends. And if they win, they would split the money four ways. And he would get $12.50 to make a down payment on a piano because they've had to sell their piano that his mother played because they're so broke just to live. They had to sell it, but it was something that was meaningful to her. So both of them enter the contest, and spoiler alert, neither of them ends up winning because this uh, band called The Nightmare <laughs> comes in uh, from from River Bottom. Some this, wild desperados. Yeah, this, you know, this gang, the River Bottom Nightmare Band. That play a song very similar to Foxy Lady. Yeah, it has that... It's got that kind of a beat. Um, They've got charisma, too. Let's, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, look, one of their band is just a fish <laughs> swimming in a big tank. And all he does is spit water out of his mouth. Yeah. He doesn't play anything. But it's, it's you know, it's the style of it all that wins it for them. He's got attitude, though, because they also <laughs> have a hot rod that they drive around yes. in. And there's a little, you know, what do you want to call it? A tank, a pond. Yeah, he has a little bucket, I guess. That he and then he's in like a, I guess it's the back seat or the trunk. He's Is it the like spoiler? In the Is it? I don't. I think it's like the trunk. It's one of those old-fashioned opens from the front kind of trunks. And then when they're riding snowmobiles down the frozen river, they're dragging him behind them on a ski with like a bucket of water on it. So it's, they love him. It's pretty great. Well, I mean, just sitting like in, a, just sitting in water in the back of a car, riding around, <laughs> you know, just being comfortable, and then he just spits water at people. That yeah. seems to be it's his attitude. That's his big move. He's tough. He's rolling with the big boys. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So they win. Um, everybody's depressed, but on the way home, um, Emmett and his mom, as they always do, turn to singing. Um, to get them through because music matters so much to them and singing is so special to them. And Doc Bullfrog, who opens, who owns the local restaurant, overhears them and asks them to come and sing at his restaurant regularly. That's huge. So they don't win the talent show, but they do get a full-time gig um, doing music at, at Doc Bullfrog's restaurant. Which I think is an even better reward it because is. it's steady work. And they also get free meals, right? Yes, they do. Mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. This is what I love about it is that Wendell the Porcupine, who's part of the jug band, mm -hmm. is so jacked about the mashed potatoes. I'm right with them. I, I mean, this is it. like a job. That's like whether they take the job or not is dependent on the mashed potatoes. <laughs> That's in his contract. Yeah, it is. You know? It's like a rider for him. <laughs> like If there's yeah. not a sufficient amount of mashed potatoes... <laughs> I'm not going on stage, exactly. okay? Yeah. Produce the potatoes, and then you get my talent. That's Wendell. <laughs> he had a solo album called Potato Party. <laughs> he, he should. Yeah, right? 
He's the jug. He he's the one who blows the jug. So he's the most important guy in the van. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that's uh, the story of Emmett Otter. So the first time I saw it, as I've told you, was when I was two years old, and I've seen it many times since then. Um, I had a lot of trouble finding it. Um, it replayed on television at least once or twice in the nineties. And then I always wanted it and never had it. And then my first year after I had left Mississippi, I was living in Worcester, Mass. And my best friend, Melissa, who I had lived with my last two years as a roommate in college, um, she bought me the VHS tape of Emmett Otter super for Christmas cool. and super, sent it to me. Cool. So ever since then, I've had it. We then got it on DVD. Yes. Um, and now we have it on streaming. We want to make sure it's with us at all times. Yes, because this is just my thing. Like, it's not a Christmas without Emmett Otter. So that's that's my feeling. When did you first see this? Did you see it before me or only after me? Well, I'd say that I saw it when I was a kid, for sure. Because with my parents, we always would watch all of these specials. You know, anything. You know, Charlie Brown, Grinch. Yeah. Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, whatever it was, we, we would watch it. We were really holiday people. You yeah. know, we <laughs> dove in with every single holiday. Yeah, we did too. Once we got a TV, if it was Christmas, we were watching every Christmas movie, every Christmas show. Yeah. Every parade. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. You, it's because this is the time of year for it. I remember when we would drive around at Christmas, and I would want to listen to different music, and my parents were like, no. Let's do Christmas music. This is the time of year you get to hear it. And now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, my God, they're brilliant. That's what we do, too, now. We yeah. go ride around, look at lights, and listen to Christmas tunes. So yeah, it's... it's really nice. I mean, it's funny because when you talked about the image at your grandmother's watching this and you in front of the television, I mean, what an amazing scene that is. Like, I could just imagine the warmth and the, the smells of your grandmother's cooking because she was such a great cook. Yes. And it's just, that's such a happy place because there was always just like, I love going over your grandmother's, you yeah. know? Oh, I loved it. She's such a wonderful person. And, you know, you talked about a cabinet TV. Well, we had a TV in our living room and it had like the wood frame and up top, I, I don't know how to explain it. It was almost like, it was like, you know, it was wood and then it came up around. It almost looked like a sleigh on top, if this oh, makes wow. any sense to you. Neat. Yeah. And my dad told me when I was a kid, they used to actually change me on top of the TV on this thing. <laughs> so I was like, wow. And then when I was young one time, because it was like the, this kind of soft wood, one time I went up, I went and actually bit it. And so like my teeth marks. That's so funny. Were in the top of it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm pretty sure it was a, a Zenith TV and we, we had it, you know, forever. I mean, we rode that until the wheels fell off. You know, you would go up and you would just turn, turn the, the dial knobs, manually, yeah. right? <laughs> yep. And then you had like the little ears, you know, from yes. the antenna. Yeah, my grandmother had only a TV with, uh, they had the big antenna outside, but they only had like an antenna TV like well into the late 90s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how we watch this stuff, sitting in front of the the big giant wood case TV. It was crazy. It was it was just like not only was it a television, it was like a full-fledged multi-purpose furniture piece. Yeah. You know? it, it was and it looked good. They it looked, looked great. good. 
But yeah, I remember. I do remember just sitting on the brown tile, mm-hmm. and probably had the dogs with me because nice. Mama Ren, Mama Ren is what we call my grandmother. I'm just gonna say that before I say it and forget what I'm talking about. Um, and actually, shout out to her. She would have been a hundred years old. Yes. On Friday, this past Friday, she was born on December eighteenth of nineteen twenty one. Um, and she passed away about five years ago, but this would have been her 100th. So this one's for her. I know she loved Emma Daughter too. Um, she also loved the song Ride the Wind by Poison. (laughs) She did. And, uh, anytime I hear that, (laughs) I think of your grandmother and I turn it up and I just picture your grandmother just, you know, revving up this hog oh and just gosh, flying through the sky, you know? That's amazing. With your, like, grandfather on another bike, like, <laughs> next to her. They're just going for it. I it's love it. It's an amazing image that yeah, I have every time. She was, like, one of the best people in the world. She, she could sure cook, was. but she was also so funny because she was the most open person. Like, she would listen to any music, Mm-hmm. Um, and she just loved music, and I think that's another reason why we all love, in my family, we all love Emma Otter, because there's so much fun music in this. Yeah, and all these different, you know, types of music. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, exactly, it's it's kind of like country, but mm-hmm. also, you know, you have these kind of rock songs, yep. and then you kind of have like an almost hymn type of a song. Yeah. And bluegrassy influence, mm-hmm. and it's it's really fun it's it's just a lot of fun um but yeah so you think you don't really remember seeing it as a kid but you figure you probably did i i'm sure that i did i the the time i remember seeing it is when you introduced me to it you know and that would have been what 20 years ago roughly oh my god 20 years ago (laughs) 20 years ago it probably was yeah i mean i guess we probably watched it the first well, maybe we didn't watch it the first Christmas we were together because I was gone for three weeks. Oh, yeah. But, you know, somewhere around there, maybe our second Christmas or something, or maybe we did watch it the first Christmas. I don't know. It's, but I, let's, yeah, first or second Christmas is when, you know, you put me onto it. And I really was like, whoa, I, I don't have any frame of reference for this because none of these characters are something that, that came back ever again. No. And with the Muppets, you always well, knew... Well, Kermit. Kermit oh, is yes. in the... Yes, yes, yes. Kermit is in the very beginning and the very end, just like kind of framing the story. But otherwise, it's all Lillian and Russell Hoban characters. Yeah, it, it's... Well, and by the way, I have a question on that. So, was that a children's book? Was yeah. that an illustrated children's book? Yeah, they wrote a lot of children's books, actually. Another point I was going to make just about them mm-hmm. is that I, you know, was probably familiar with the style of how the the characters looked because uh, I read their Francis the Badger books. Okay. And the puppets, the Muppet puppets in this are very similar to the look of the Francis the Badger um, illustration from the book. So they wrote quite a few children's books, um, and they went on to write more separately, I think. Um, They had another character called, and maybe this was just Lillian, had a character called Arthur the Chimpanzee, and there were a lot of books for him too. And I'm pretty sure I read all of them because... Like I said, we didn't have a television. Yeah. But we did have a library. Mm-hmm. Um, my family was like shockingly poor when we were when I was really little. 
Um, my dad was in college, um, and my mom was kind of just a stay-at-home mom, and my dad just kind of had a part-time job at the supermarket as a butcher hmm. assistant or something. And so we were, like, stunningly broke. I mean, we lived in really awful little low-income housing type apartments that were all bug-infested and disgusting. Ooh. Um, and we didn't have food. We didn't, I don't, I didn't ever have my own original bought from the store clothes until I was maybe four or five. Um, everything was like hand-me-down stuff from cousins or stuff that we got donated to us from, you know, different charities. And a lot of times we didn't have food. We were just getting donated food, um, from, from the food pantry or, you know, whatever my dad could scrape up from the supermarket or donations from people's gardens or things like this. Um, and I think that's probably why this was special in another way too, well, multiple ways, because going to my grandmother's, we could always have a good meal because yeah. my grandmother would always cook something amazing. She was, she was fairly poor too, but she could make, I mean, she lived through the Depression, and she could make a wonderful meal probably out of an old boot, you know? <laughs> I'm um, sure she could. When Wendell is going fishing in the movie, in the show, and he pulls the boot out, mm -hmm. um, my grandmother probably could have made that boot taste good. <laughs> so, you know, if I went to my grandmother's, I was going to have a meal. I was not going to go to bed hungry. So there was that, that goodness, and we were going to be warm because they were, had a warm house. Um, and then also I could really, in that respect, relate to the characters in this movie because these people have a tough life. Like they live on the river. They don't have a lot of money. There's a couple of families in this Frogtown Hollow that seem to be okay. The Foxes, the mayor is is Mr. Fox and his wife Gretchen Fox. And she's a real meanie because she doesn't want to pay. Yes. I mean, can well, you I mean, that's that? rich people for you. God, I can't believe that happens. <laughs> she doesn't want to pay her laundry bill early so yeah. that they can have, you know, maybe even something for, to eat on Christmas. Alice, um, you so, know, yeah. Alice Otter really gets dealt a dirty hand there by Gretchen Fox. She does. Because you don't feel like you tut, you, you tust? <laughs> yeah, you don't tust. You don't feel like you trust Gretchen Fox when no. she says that there was a spot on the clothing last time. No, she said there's a scorch mark. She's scorch full of mark. business. Yeah, I just feel like she just wants to dodge well, the bill. And, by the way, who shows up as a judge later at the talent oh, contest? Oh, I know. I mean, as soon as I saw Gretchen Fox was the judge, I knew that the otters, the otters were going to get dealt a dirty hand. That's what I thought, too, when I saw it this time, because I was really tuned in to, I'm like, who are these judges? Yeah, one of them is Doc Bullfrog, and you know he's already he already likes them. Because he's the man. Because the very beginning of the movie, Emmett and Alice are rowing down the river to deliver the laundry to their different customers, and you see Doc Bullfrog out on the pier next to his river restaurant and he's enjoying their singing they're singing my favorite song in the whole uh show which is the grandma's bathing suit song oh my gosh can we talk about that song that's the best basically it's about this robustly sized grandmother mm -hmm. and her very sizable bathing suit and how you know it's like a legendary 
bathing suit all around the land because children used her for shade Mm -hmm. and people mistook this bathing suit for a circus tent. Mm -hmm. And my favorite line, which is the last part, is that they made, I can't say it without singing it, we made curtains and handkerchiefs and clothing for the poor. From the one bathing suit that your grandma Otter wore. <laughs> so they had enough fabric from this legendary bathing suit to clothe the poor and make curtains and handkerchiefs and all kinds of items. I felt like it was unfortunate that we did not get to see Grandma <laughs> well, Otter or, you know, a picture of the bathing suit before <laughs> it was split up. Well, I don't know if we're meant to believe that this is a true story or a tall tale. Right. Uh, okay. Because, you know, hillbillies have tall tales. Well, can we talk about the fact that, okay, this story is all about these musicians, okay, that have odd jobs to get by. Yes. And a lot of times, you know, people will go for their dream, and that's always a wonderful thing to do. But I think that these folks, the otters, they have so much talent yeah. that there is just like no doubt in your mind. I mean, these guys, you know, they ride around in the boat and they just, it seems like they're just making up songs on All the, the fly. time. Yeah. In, in harmony. In by harmony. The way. Yeah. And yeah. then they, they're just very proficient with everything that they do. Yes. I mean, you know, they have, you know, Alice Otter has wonderful stage presence. Yes. Right? And then you also see Emmett Otter is a band leader because he's saying to the guys, let's practice again. Let's go again. Yes, he knows what the stakes are. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. So, yeah, the the way that they can get into the contest, we didn't even say this yet. Um, this is the little twist that Emmett Otter has on Gift of the Magi. Um, where in Gift of the Magi, the thing that they sold was something that was kind of like their pride. The thing that they sell in this story is the other person's livelihood, okay? Because in order for Alice to enter, she has to wear a better dress because she's going to be singing up there by herself. Mm -hmm. She needs to be dressed in something besides her busted old house dress that everybody's seeing her doing laundry in. Yeah. So she sells Emmett's toolkit in order to get the money for the fabric. So she's like a self-directing singer. She knows the entire package. Like, these people were born for show business. Yeah, she's a diva. (laughs) She has to have this outfit, or else she knows that people aren't going to take her seriously. Mm -hmm. And she's right. Yeah. So she has to sell Emmett's tool chest because they have nothing else to sell. This is going to take away Emmett's way to make money, which is by doing the odd jobs with the tools. Emmett to be in the jug band has to put a hole in the wash tub. Mm, yeah. And the hole in the wash tub is such a big deal mm-hmm. that there is a song in this movie called There Ain't No Hole in the Wash Tub. And it's about how because the wash tub is intact, they have money, they're high on the hog, life is good, yeah. everything is great because there ain't no hole in the wash tub. Emmett has to put a hole in the wash tub to make a wash tub base, which means their main source of his mother's main source of income, which is doing laundry in said wash tub, is now taken away. 
So not only have they made like a huge sacrifice, but it's the other person's sacrifice. They do it without asking. They do it because they're taking a chance. And it's all because they both have this, they have this conversation together while they're thinking over if they really want to do this, where they talk about Emmett's father. And he was a snake oil salesman. And he was poor because nobody wants to oil a snake. And, <laughs> but they always have these fond memories of him going for it all the time. Yeah. He just believed that life is not for safety. Life is for taking a risk. And they kind of talk themselves into taking a gamble to try to get something better. And, of course, it backfires on them because they don't win. But neither of them are upset with the other one because they're like, this is what Pa would have wanted. Yes. And both of them, you know, were like, it's a good idea. You yeah. totally could have won. And they kind of have this faith in the end. Yeah. That, and they're even though they're upset and they're depressed, they still have this faith that everything could still work out. They even want to work on more music. And that's how yes, they, they end do. up. With the job at the end is the two, you know, Emmett's band yes. and then Alice decide to put their music together, their songs together that they did for this contest. And then, you and know. Doc Bullfrog overhears them. Yes. And he says, you know, I really liked both of your acts, but they were missing something. And now I see what they were missing is that you should have been doing it together. Boom. And that's how they get hired for this job. So... For me, that is kind of like the most Southern thing that ever happened in a movie. Because what you're supposed to kind of feel here at the end is that they didn't receive a handout. They received no. a job. And, and it's from their talent. It's yes. from their amazing talent and perseverance. These people... And faith yes, as well. It's, I, that's, when I watched it this time, I loved the story so much more than I ever had, you know, because I feel like I know in the Muppets, there's like different parts of the, the movies where it's like, they're trying to hit it big, like Muppets take Manhattan. Yes. But whenever I think of like the Muppets show or the Muppets movies, I think about the Muppets as movie stars. <laughs> and this is like, yeah, you know, the it, opposite. Correct. Yeah. This is like working your way up. Yeah. And with these guys, you know, getting a steady paying job at the Riverside Rest. Yes. Is I that the name? So. Yeah. You know, at uh, Doc Bullfrog's place, you know, a steady job where you get pay and you get meals, you know, and that's your, your full-time job. That is the success for them. Yes, it is. And, it's, yeah. you know, for once they get to know where their next meal is coming mm -hmm. from, know where their next paycheck is coming from, and they're not having to strive. And I just... I mean, that's, like, so poignant yeah. to me. Especially as, like, a super poor kid. I can totally see why this movie meant something to me when I was little. And the fact is, in my family, we sing like that, too. Mm -hmm. We are always singing. My grandmother sang. My mom sang. My dad sang. Mm -hmm. We sang together. We did harmonies. Like, I was singing harmonies when I was, like, you know three and four and five years old. Like, I've been singing since I was a, a baby. Um, so, the fact that... And I've always wanted to... 
<laughs> to be a singer and, you know, probably wanted to be in a jug band from yeah. this, you know. I know when I was in high school, I wanted to be in a band. I learned to play guitar. I learned to play bass. I learned to play piano. I still sing. Like, music is such a huge thing. And the fact that they're able to, like, take their musical talent and their love for music and turn it into a job is so exciting. Yeah, and that's really what what's so great is yeah they took their music it's what they love to do and it's a job yeah you know and, and it's not like you know one of these things where they have like you know 18 billion fans and they travel the world no, no they get to be they're just working musicians and they're happy and that's and that's all that they want and yeah. i think that's just such a great message you know because when you get involved with, you know, show business or wanting to do these things, you always want to climb higher and yes. higher and higher and higher. And you're never satisfied. But having a steady working job where you get to be with your family and friends yeah. in your hometown, I mean, that really is... That's a pretty good payoff. It's a wonderful payoff. <laughs> and it's it's just not something that I think a lot of folks think about. I, I think it's... It's just, it's fantastic because the story is so well plotted and you have, you know, this story that you can fully relate to because people want to do what they're meant to do, Yeah. you know, and everybody has different jobs that they have to take on in the meantime. But the, the way that they pull through and it's just, it it's... It's so satisfying. It just yes, warms you like up. It's touching. It's super touching. And, yeah. And you just are happy. And there's so much fun music and just mm -hmm. great songs in this. I mean, I've already mentioned the Grandma song and mm -hmm. the Ain't No Hole in the Wash Tub, both great songs. Yeah. We've talked about the River Bottom Nightmare Band song, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, and then just the songs that they sang. I mean, the Jug Band song that they originally are going to play is the song Barbecue, which has no right to be so good, but it's a jam. It sticks with you. Yeah, I mean, and then they end up having to switch it because Yancey Woodchuck plays Barbecue before them, so they know they can't do it. So they sing this song called Brothers, and then there are two different songs um, that... Alice sings that are really pretty. She has such a gorgeous voice. Yeah, and it's it's just so good. I mean, I have to say, I do have to say, like, when you go back and watch it now, you can tell it's old, you know? That doesn't And you can me. tell that they didn't have a lot of money, and some of the puppeting, some of the puppeteering is kind of um, Thunderbirds-esque. Oh, yeah, it made me think of Team America, for sure, yeah. like with some of it. So... Some of it is kind of, you know, uh, unsophisticated. The I mean, walking. The walking, the walking is, is unsophisticated for sure. Um, but at the same time, there's so much cool stuff going on. And they have so many, like, the, the Riverbottom Nightmare Band mm -hmm. has a weasel who I love. Mm -hmm. um, he's so mean. He's the guitarist, right? Uh, I, he's either a guitar player or a bass player. Okay. And he sings, too. Um, he sings the, the lyrics. Maybe the snake is the bass player. I can't remember who plays what, but there's I a think snake. The, snake. the reason I think that the snake could be the bass player is just because the way we see him going up and down yeah. on the neck of the guitar. And yeah, that seems true. to be like that that foxy lady. Dun, yes. dun, dun, yes, the dun, 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 d
uh, I could be wrong, but when we were watching it this time, I was trying to check out what everyone was playing. I mean, no, I have to check again. Like, there's the li- there's a lizard, there's a snake, mm-hmm. there's the fish who just swims in the thing in the back. Awesome. Yes. There's the weasel, I guess, and then there's Chuck, mm-hmm. the bear. Chuck is the leader, mm-hmm. the who doesn't speak much. Yeah, and he's got like this tough guy voice. He's the one that sings the chorus, Riverbottom Nightmare Bands. <laughs> he has this great line uh, <laughs> where he goes, I'm hungry. And yeah. they're like, Everybody, Chuck's hungry. And he's like, No, 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 no. I'm hungry. He's like, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, get Chuck some food. Stat. Um, yeah, Chuck is funny because everybody just like kisses his butt. Oh yeah, so much. You don't mess with Chuck. I mean, Chuck is definitely the leader of the gang. He and... doesn't have to do anything. They just no. still are like kowtowing to Chuck. And then they go into this music store, and they just wreak havoc yeah they rip it up they the bass drum comes rolling out this is where the mother of pearl inlay guitar is but yeah they're basically terrorizing the town they even terrorize kermit yeah at the beginning they steal his scarf yes the fish uses a fishing pole to get the scarf off of kermit (laughs) i mean a fish using a fishing pole is pretty tough I mean, that's a tough fish. They're hard. He's like, oh yeah, you want to have a fishing pole that's meant to kill me? I'm going to use it as a weapon against you. Riverbottom is not a place I'd want to find no. myself oh, alone. Thank goodness we don't visit Riverbottom. No, I mean, we would be done. I mean, <laughs> that bass drum rolls out of the music store. I, I think somebody says a line like, uh, you know, if it wasn't... It's round, so it's oh, yeah, supposed to he roll. Says. He's like, if they didn't want it to roll, they should have made it square. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, it's good. Yeah, if they, yeah, if they, <laughs> yeah, it's great. They're they're ridiculous, but I, I kind of love. They're kind of like great, you know, villains mm-hmm. because they are talented, and it's like sometimes the bad guys win, and I think that might be kind of a good lesson too um in a certain way that like you know just because you're a jerk doesn't mean that you aren't the best because at the talent show they're clearly the best yeah they're the ones that have the entire package together like if there was an a and r guy out there yeah he would have just given them a record deal like immediately yeah that's it's it reminds me of the wild one you know in a way that old brando movie where like the gang just comes to town and takes over that's hilarious i bet it's based on that in a way yeah i it's it's something to think about i mean does the guy sound like brando not no. not so much but he doesn't but he does talk have much. like a, i think he has like a cap on or something and he has shades yeah he has shades for sure yeah that's funny but yeah, yeah i mean Riverbottom Nightmare Band is pretty cool. You have to give them credit. We do. And something else I want to talk about before I forget is I want to talk a little bit about Hetty Muskrat. Oh, yeah. Hetty Muskrat Hedy is Muskrat. chaotic, man. She sure is. She's like lurking around the outside of the house. Then she comes in, tells Alice about the contest, mm-hmm. makes it sound really good. Yeah. Then when Alice decides to do it, and sells Emmett's toolkit to get the fabric for her dress. She's like, oh, do you think you should have done that? I'm what like, Hetty, it's your fault, lady. Take 
take the responsibility. You talked her into this. What do you want, Hetty? Yeah, Hetty, like, who whose team is she on is what I want to know. That's a good question. Is she, like, an undercover agent? <laughs> maybe she, she's, like, maybe she's trying to get in with Gretchen Fox. That's, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, maybe they're trying. she's trying to get tight with Gretchen. Yeah, I mean, there's some people in town that want to make some power moves. And she does have an attitude with Alice because Alice borrowed her spinning wheel and hasn't really given it back yet. Oh, yeah? So, um, but, you know. There's a lot there. Got to do what you got to do. They're scrabbling them to keep going. Well, it's my favorite part of that whole movie is the ending where they realize that putting the two songs together is the way, and they're still happy, and they still want to do music, and they still care about each other yes. after this crushing defeat that, frankly, I mean, without any way to make money? Yeah. What's going to happen? I, know, to these I mean, people? I'm telling I'm not as resilient as these otters because yeah. I don't bounce back that quickly from that kind of a depression, but I'm really proud of them for doing that. I mean, who's your favorite character in this? Can you even pick one? I think I'd have to say Emmett just because he is a man with a mission, you know, he gets the band together. He keeps the band on track. The fact that the band that they have is so strong that at the competition, when they realize they can't do barbecue, which is the song they've rehearsed so much, they go out in the alley and come up with a new song. Yes. That is a tight-knit group, and that requires cohesion, and that requires a leader. Yes. And he's already he's proven like himself. He's like a leader. Yeah. He's fantastic. Impressive. I, I would also pick Emmett. I mean, I think that's probably who I relate to. You know, he's like the little kid, but he's pushing and trying and striving. And, like, he has this work ethic. And and yet he also really wants to dream. And I love that about Emmett. Yeah, and he cares about people. You yes. know, he's very kind to everyone. He has a great relationship with his mother. You know, they're, they're friends. You yeah. know, it's obviously his mother but they're friends, and it's very positive. And when you see a good relationship like that, you just go, it wow, this is awesome. Good. Yeah, it's it's fantastic, this whole movie. It's just like a warm, hot peanut butter cup. <laughs> is that your food? That's my food. It's like, I, I don't even know if such a thing exists. Like, fresh out of the <laughs> oven, warm, yeah, no. hot peanut butter cup. It's well, just gooey Do you remember when we lived in Massachusetts and we would eat at Uno? Oh, yeah. yeah they yeah. had, do you remember their dessert was that peanut butter, oh, that giant peanut butter Oh, my cup. God. That's what it is. Oh, <laughs> I miss that. Oh, I miss that. I would just tear that up. It was delicious. Oh, my God. It was so rich, though. You could die from it. But... I love rich sweets. I don't always go for sweets, but when yeah. I do sweets, I want the richest of the go rich. For it. And my dad was like that, too. He wanted the sweetest of the sweetest of the sweetest. Yeah, and pass that on. That was good, and I had never been to that restaurant. You took me there, and I was like, "Whoa, this is so good!" Because it is just like a big peanut butter cup. It has kind of like, but it has like a cookie bottom. Oh, God, it was so good. But it has like a crushed chocolate cookie bottom mm -hmm. with this kind of creamy cheesecakey peanut butter with chocolate chips middle, and mm -hmm. then the top is like a layer of just solid chocolate. It was and they would put a scoop of vanilla ice cream and chocolate and peanut butter sauce on the top. I wonder if they still have that. I hope they do. I also I, wonder oh if Uno is even still open and where was it? Westboro or whatever. 
I can't believe we didn't go there when we went to Massachusetts last. I didn't think about it. I mean, and honestly, I forgot about that dessert entirely until you said it right now. I thought I was like reinventing the wheel talking about this <laughs> out of the oven peanut butter cup. But now that you say it, oh, man. Yeah, that was, wow. That was so it good. It was good. And that's this movie. That's this movie for me. You know, let's let's get a nice cup of coffee on the side, some really good coffee, you know, a nice creamer with it. Just ah, sitting in front of the fireplace in your overstuffed chair, you know, you got your feet on your really nice rug. You're just making balls with your feet, looking <laughs> like out your bay style. window with the snow, you know. You've for got, me, yeah, for me. Well, and there's music on too. Uh, of course, there's it's some not vinyl Christmas happening. Music. John Denver oh, the and Muppets. the Muppets. But if there was an Emmett Otter record, and I'll look into that, I would be spinning that. I definitely would get that record because the, every song in this is a great song. Perfect stuff. My food for this movie would have to be, since it's with my grandmother, I am going to go with this thing that only she made, which Ooh. is this homemade, from scratch, caramel cake. Oh my God. Um, it was a yellow kind of a cake All right. with three layers mm -hmm. and homemade caramel icing. And it was so good that I just don't even know how to tell you about it. Like, the icing wasn't, like, the fluffy kind of jar icing. It okay. was kind of, like, more solid. Okay. Um, it was kind of more like a cross between icing and candy, almost. Wow. Um, I'll see if my mom has a recipe for this. I would love that. I would make a non-three-tiered one. I would make a single-tiered one. <laughs> I mean, but my, she she always made this for I believe my uncle Michael's birthday because I think it was his favorite, mm -hmm. and also she would generally make one at Christmas, um, and we would just have so much food. Mm. So with her, you know, with with thinking about this show and watching it at her house, I just think about pretty much the entire spread mm -hmm. of kind of weird food that yeah. she used to make that I never get anywhere else. She made like an English pea salad, which oh, was. Wow. What's English, that? it was it was English peas right. with chopped up boiled egg. Okay. In like, and I guess it was mixed it with mayonnaise or something. Wow. But I liked it. Okay. And she made cornbread dressing, which is kind of like the southern version of stuffing that okay. you would have in a turkey. Mm -hmm. Um. Also has chopped up boiled eggs in it somehow. Okay. And it usually had pieces of turkey. Um. Yeah, those are the things I had. Always bread. Mm -hmm. Always, um, we used to usually have cold turkey and ham that okay. she would have made the day before and cut up. Um, and just, you know, pretty much anything you could get your hands on. They would make green beans with, like, bacon or ham in it. Mm -hmm. They would, she would do, um, those candied yams that my mom and cousin Jennifer would fight over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we would just have, I mean, the cornbread dressing was my second choice because I would have really scooped up a big pile of that. I could have just eaten a bowl of that because um, it was so good. Um, and I loved cornbread anything. I love cornbread. I was growing up too. Well, in the South, we don't do your kind of cornbread because you like the sweet corn muffins. I do. We would be, we never put sugar in our cornbread. We had savory cornbread, but yeah, it was good stuff 
Well, Good anything stuff. that your grandmother made, I would be down yeah. to, to have because it was always perfect. I mean, the, the one thing that, that is different for me, it's like I, I love this show, but I don't have the same personal connection to it that you do because I was a really privileged kid that, like, grew up in the suburbs as an only child and, like... I had a lot of toys. You don't and... have to apologize no, for that. It's just like, you know, <laughs> when I when I hear your story, you know, and, and and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it it makes me honestly even more thankful for the things that that I had and the things that I have now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do have to say we were always grateful for anything that we did have. Because we didn't have much. And I think that that is another part of this movie. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying not to get emotional about it. But it is emotional for me. Because, you know, we didn't have much. But we were always really grateful for what we did have. And I remember, you know, we did get a TV um, at one point. You know, like when I was three or four um, I, I must have been three because it was before my sisters were born and it got stolen and it was so sad because, you know, it was like the one thing that we had, but somebody broke into our trailer. We lived in a trailer at that point and they stole it, but we still had, like I said, the library. So we would be going, you know, there to get books and my mom and I would just read everything we've read. We read all the little house in the prairie books together and I learned to read when I was like three years old, just because we read so much. And I think that that's just something that I learned as a little kid, that you have to be grateful for what you have. And it has served me well, because there's been other times of my life where I've been just as poor, again, by myself, or you and I have gone through some hard times and stuff together. And, you know, that's, that's just why this story means a lot to me. And I'm an emotional wreck. (laughs) (laughs) You know, who wants to be an emotional wreck on Christmas? Well, I guess that would be me. Because I love this um, little special about these people who have it really tough, but they're able to, to push through. And something wonderful happens to them in the end. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I'm right with you. I'm right with you. I mean, it's it's great because it feels so good and it feels so real. I mean, this is a very human story. And we have puppets on the screen. <laughs> but they are emoting more yeah. than I could ever believe. The songs, yeah. you know, the, just the emotion. This is true. That's such a good point. I mean, I feel just as much with these puppets, who are clearly puppets at times, because you can see how badly they're walking. Or going down the slide. <laughs> yeah. Going, yeah, down, going the slide down the slide again. But, you know, I it, it feels very real, especially to me, because I feel like it's kind of what we were going through when I was a kid. But the, the hope at the end. Yes. It's what makes this a perfect Christmas special to me. I I write with you. The hope is what has me. I mean, and this is the brightest light that I've seen 
in terms of a Christmas special. And these puppets are able to show me everything on their face. The, 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 the skill that they had when they created this. Yeah, just the writing of the story. The puppeteering. The puppeteering, the voice work. Mm-hmm. I mean, the voice actors who are doing this are some of the same people who regularly do Muppet voices. They are amazing. What they're able to do, the story they're able to tell with puppets is the most human story ever. Yeah, I I completely agree. And even some of the camera work that you see, when they pull away, you know, and you get to see the town and you see the birds flying overhead. It's, It's so creative. It's wonderful. I just, you know, I can't recommend this enough. And I just say, you know, go out and make this a part of your Christmas. You won't regret it. No. It's such a great, it's such a great special. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just not well known enough. So I hope that you've enjoyed this episode and make it a part of your regular rotation. Let me jump in for one second, because I do want to mention this. The person that did the music for this is Paul Williams, correct? Yes. Okay, now Paul Williams worked with so many people over the years to create some hit songs. And you might remember him from the Smokey and the Bandit films as Little Enos Burdett. I couldn't believe that's who that was. Yes, and he also, he also wrote the songs for the Muppet Christmas Carol. Yes. So again, we're tying together. It's it's amazing and yeah. I uh, he he wrote a bunch of other songs too. I read that he wrote the Love Boat theme. Oh wow. He wrote We've Only Just Begun. Like wow. this guy's an amazingly talented songwriter. I think an old-fashioned love song from Three Dog Night. Oh I believe gosh. that was also him. I mean, no wonder the songs in this movie are amazing. Yeah, it's it's just everything is there. And though this was like the the first ship that launched to test out the Muppets, I'm going to say it. I think I like this better than the Muppets. I think I like this better than the Muppets also. Yeah. Um, For me, probably for personal reasons. But overall, I think that the creativity, the freedom... Um, and just the feeling, the yeah. emotion of it, really put it up into the top tier of anything that Jim Henson did. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. I wish I could remember when I saw it with my parents, because, again, those were the times, like, we always went for it with the holidays, and we always had that feeling, yes. you know, that, that whole Christmas season. I just feel like your dad would have loved this, too. Oh, yeah, I'm sure both of my parents would have. It's something that, that, again, like I say... Whenever there was a holiday, we were in on it. Yeah, you guys were super Christmas and super Easter people. I yeah. love all of your traditions that you talk about with that. So a lot of good times, a lot of good memories. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, we will be back again, really, just about any time. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be coming <laughs> with fast. With our actual fourth planned Christmas uh, movie for Christmases. Mm-hmm. So our fourth Christmas movie is for Christmases. But we just wanted to sneak in Emmett Otter um, as a one-off uh, quickly to make sure that we talked about this really important, super formative Christmas special for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we hope you enjoyed this little special episode and we hope you'll come back and hear for Christmases 
as we wrap up our Christmas episodes for 2021. Wow. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. Always glad to have you here. And as always, friends, stay comfy. Stay comfy.